Hello and welcome to a long overdue episode of the Lasting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Toffee, and joining me is good old Dr. Shafik. How you thank doing? You, thank you for introducing me again. A, th- a callback to the original seasons when, yeah, uh, oh, never mind. And uh, speaking of other co-hosts, uh, oh, yeah. We're down one again. Yes, we are down one again. I believe good old eccentric Tom is off on his holiday. He's off eccentricing somewhere. Eccentricing off Swiss somewhere. <laughs> uh, but it's been a well-deserved break for both of us. You know, we're yeah. on the cusp of uh, reaching our hundredth episode, actually. Yeah, yeah. And we did celebrate a very uh, well-deserved rest after a two-year stint. We've been doing this for two years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we're still doing it, which is, you know, a testament to the show itself. We like doing what we do. We like talking about movies, games, and whatnot. And here we are. Yeah, and um, you know what? What did you do on your holiday, on your well-deserved break, uh, well, Mr. Toffee? <laughs> apart from leaving my previous job and finding for freelancing work and all that, I've been chilling around in Malaysia. And in fact, I'm still in Malaysia right now as you speak. What? And, I've, and have been, you know, <laughs> doing a lot of, playing a lot of video games here and there. And one of them so far, it's like uh, Marvel Spider-Man, you know, the one for the PlayStation Four. Have yeah, you that came out quite recently. Yeah, I wanted to give it a try. Um, I don't know. Um, nah, I, I couldn't find the time to actually like hunker down and uh, play that. Uh, but you know what? How is it? It's actually really, really good. I will actually rate this among all the Spider-Man games I've played, like from Spider-Man Two, Web of Shadow, Shattered Dimensions, heck, even the Mega Drive Spider-Man. It's Actually, not bad. I mean, you're obviously a big Spider-Man fan, and so am I, you know, based on the episode we did a while back, right? Well, well if you did listen to the episodes, you would realize that I'm actually a Batman fan. I do kind of like Spider-Man as well. But yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I would say, you know what, we all pretty much are in accordance with uh, the value of Spider-Man, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, to yeah. speak. We respect what he did, and we respect the stories that were spun out from this web, from this yarn, so to speak. You know what's my favorite Spider-Man moment of all time? Spider-Ham? Nah. Oh, Spider-Ham? Oh, are we talking about Spider-Pig? Oh, no. Spider-Ham. Uh, Peter Porker. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was... I remember when we introduced that to Eccentric Tom and it blew his mind like... <laughs> yeah. yeah, Marvel gets weird too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The 70s. Such a crazy, colourful, drug-induced time. Well, yeah. But also at the same time, I would say... Um, my favourite Spider-Man moment of all time was when he got dusted at the end of Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert for a film that came out. You know, I'm just gonna keep mentioning Infinity War for the rest of the year, just for the SEO. But also at the same time, like, no, spoiler. Come on, everybody knew about it. Like, the, your your Facebook Messenger already has the dusted away gifs. Yeah, so uh, if yeah. you didn't know that happened to poor Tom Holland, like, and you know what? Uh, props to uh, Marvel for being so brave. Yeah. But like, also at the same time, um, you know what, what? Another thing I want to also bring up is the fact that this Spider-Man game is coming out with no movie tie-in which yeah, is usually yeah. a good sign it's its own universe that's similar to the 616 universe except there's some few changes like Mary Jane's a reporter like one of the best Mary Jane roles I've seen since forever I guess let's see who else um, yeah you got Dr. Octopus except he starts off as a father figure teacher character whatnot you still got Silver Sable you still got Electro and all those other villains you know and love Really? Is Electro around? Wait, is... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Electro's around. Electro's around. What's that glass around. dome head guy, Mysterio? Is he around? Uh, mm, there's references to him, yeah. Oh, so and it's basically doing like an Arkham where it's like, oh, uh, okay, we can't get all the characters, but here's some puzzles and here's some references that you can find along the because way. Because you know they're going to save it to for a sequel. And you know darn well that this is going to be a good moneymaker because, you know, there's a lot of hype for this game since two years back when they announced it in an E3. 
and people just are clamoring for a nice, great Spider-Man game. Make Spider-Man games great again. You this know? has been so, developed for two years. Uh, probably more than that, actually. More than that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. More than that, and so far the results show it's a great Spider-Man game because, again, the traversal is really great. It's on par and arguably better than Spider-Man Two. A really great game at the time, you know. I mean, like it's been long enough. We should have made improvements by then. Yeah, yeah, and there's a heck of a ton of improvements for this Spider-Man game. The swinging, the momentum, and this really cool move where you know you press L two R two, you do a perch standing move, you launch off the air and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, is it similar to maybe like in Batman Arkham Asylum where you have the glide mechanic where if you swoop and then you like, like veer up at the last it minute? Fe- you- no, 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 no. It's so much. Di- I mean. There is still the downward, upward spiral thing, but this feels more like you're controlling a pendulum because of, you know, the swinging and the web. Whereas Arkham Knight is like, you know, you're flying and then you're going down, you're going, Yeah, you're swooping like Arrow the Acrobat. <laughs> Shout yeah, yeah. out to that episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this one's more like, uh, you know, you have unlimited webbing anyway, so you can swing to your heart's content and you can wall run and so you can run on the building if you wanted to, you know? So it doesn't use the conceit that like, oh, it's web shooters, it, or is it like using the, it's actually normal it's like uh like in the toby Maguire spider-man where it, he actually can you know shoot webs from his hands well this is more he's still using web cartridges but they're all unlimited for the sake of you know because you want to make the game fun so because some things you kind of have to throw it out that'll be an interesting window. mechanic maybe like on hard mode like you have limited web cartridges then like you have to Ooh, walk the rest super, of the mission <laughs> that could be superior spider-man mode for the sequel i mean I that can, would be I fun i can totally imagine like you know like dlc or whatever like you run out you run out of web cartridges and then you need to call like an uber just to get to the next mission yeah you could <laughs> call mary York's jane so yeah whatnot to help you out call mary jane she's busy at work she's she's a reporter what are you yeah what? but she reports criminal beats for the daily bugle so any crime yeah. Any big crime that's happening in New York City, which Spider-Man's involved, you know Mary Jane's going to be there. So they tie that in really well, along with the addition of Miles Morales. For oh this wait, universe. he's in this universe? Oh yeah, yeah, I remember seeing uh, some video, like, uh, I think some video game website did show some gameplay footage where they featured Miles Morales. And the journalist lost uh, his mind because, oh, it's Miles Morales. It's like... So? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, uh, probably journalists or comic book fans, but yeah, it's actually nice the way they actually worked it in. It didn't feel forced. It felt like, okay, new Spider-Man world that's kind of familiar, mm. add in the characters and the story and everything, and you got your side missions to distract you from the main story, which a lot of people will be doing. In fact, I'm actually doing that right now. I finished the game, and I'm still doing all these different bomb-diffusing tasks, the drone challenges, the fighting stealth challenges, and random crime happening in the streets from so different like, factions. So basically fetch quests, collection missions, and uh, the usual... Yeah, time escort? trials, right? You have to follow through a hoop uh, and stuff through your swinging. So like the VR missions from Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except, I don't know, this this feels more... I mean, because they made the traversal so much fun, I'm like, mm. you know what? Copy all you like. If you make it your own thing and just make it fun, I don't care, you know? No, but so like, how's the action? Like, how's the combat? Because, I mean... One thing I did like about the Spider-Man 2 was basically that, you know, it did feel really fun and amazing to, pun intended amazing, (laughs) to to actually swing through New York as Spider-Man. Yeah. But like, you know, I'm expecting to do a lot of that, but like, so what's the, the meat and potatoes of the game like? Uh, mean and potatoes of the game again, swinging, traversal, and also a lot of fighting. I mean, besides the movement, like, like what's the combat like, or what's like, you know, other gameplay? It's pretty different from how Batman controls in Batman Arkham Asylum. 
Whereas Batman feels more like a brawler, you know, like a ballerina of death when he's fighting like a ninja. Spider-Man is kind of ninja-ish in a sense, but he likes staying in the air a lot. Like, you know, grabbing dudes from the air, lifting them up as you unlock more skills that let you do that. So it's mostly stealth missions? Or, like, you don't do hand-to-hand stuff? Or? Oh, you've got hand-to-hand stuff. You've got a... Uh, yeah, he's actually more into range as well because he's got his webs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you can switch to a lot of different web cartridges, like electric web cartridges, web mm. bombs as well. And uh, yeah, remote remote detonators as well, which which detonates into webs and stuff. So it's like the, are there boss fights as well, or yeah, there are boss fights, but they're, I mean, I won't say they're completely challenging. In fact, the that's probably my only gripe with the game, where I kind of felt like the game could have been a bit harder on its tougher difficulty setting. Okay. But once you get the nuances and you get to down to the fighting with the rhythm of, you know, making sure that Spider-Man does not get hit ever. I mean, Batman can still take a few punches, especially yeah. when you get the Kevlar upgrades. Spider-Man, even with his full upgrades, he still dies after three, four hits from a shotgun or a turret from far away. Okay, but like, what's the enemy variety like? Do you fight like random thugs or is there like... Uh... You got your melee thugs, you got your big thugs, you've got your thugs with weapons, you've got your long-range thugs, you've got your snipers as well. Snipers. And you've got guys on jetpacks. Yeah, snipers, yes. Guys on jetpacks? Who are the guys on jetpacks? Oh, those should be the Sable uh, mercenary groups. They uh, they come later in the game. So I, Silver I Sable the story is mode. part of this universe. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've got turrets as well too. You gotta make sure the turrets... Because you only can defeat turrets by webbing them up and then using your uh, environmental pickup attack to throw them around. Okay, so I mean, um, is it 20 hour, 40 hour game or? I'd say it's about 20, 25 hours. I finished the main campaign for about maybe 15 hours or so. And mm. then all the busy work with collecting stuff and, you know, opening up radio towers, you know, and also getting reports from your friend Yuri Watanabe, like she's a cop and stuff. That should take you about another 10 plus hours or so. Who's Yuri Watanabe? That oh, she's like a, a new character in the game. She's like the oh. FBI character. She's like the FBI uh, chief of police in New York. And she is secretly aligned, uh, fight, fighting with Spider-Man to take care of crime. Kind of like Oracle and Batman. Yeah, yeah. But this one's more <laughs> like... Because... Uh, Oracle does not work for the police. She kind of works, like, in secret. I mean, even James Gordon doesn't know that uh, Oracle is Oracle. Yeah, I mean, Barbara Gordon is Oracle. She's the one feeding Batman all the police reports and all the police transmissions. That, yeah, yeah, so she's more of a hacker than an actual police person. Well, Yuri Watanabe, obviously. But, but Yuri Watanabe does have a similar role where it's basically, oh, hey... Uh, insider, insider, yes. This is coming up right now. Okay, yeah. cool. I actually enjoy the banter between the two, like, you know, like a brother-sister thing going on. So she's like totally new to the universe. I mean, she's never completely. A, she never appeared in a Marvel like property at all, right? Yeah, she's a brand new character in this particular universe, so it's pretty cool. You know? Is she playable at all? No, right? She just nah, basically... nah, nah. Ah, yes. Speaking of which, the side characters they are playable. Um, in some aspects, some parts like Miles. There will be segments where you play as Miles Morales and Mary Jane, where you it's a stealth mission basically. Okay, so what yeah. do you do as Miles Morales? Basically, you just sneak through guard barriers and sneak through buildings, you know, from super villains. And the only way to to actually, you know, evade characters and whatnot is to hack into systems or throw like this distractor, like throw beepers so that your enemies are distracted. But like, what's is this like incongruence with the story, or is it, it is incongruence with the story? It's in league oh, okay. with the story. So I felt that those bits, they don't feel... I mean, they're, they're nice that they flesh out those characters in this new universe, mm. but at the same time, it kind of broke the flow. I'm like, five, ten minutes into this mission, I'm like, can I go back to swinging again, man? Because <laughs> that was yeah. more fun. 
I mean, I, I had the similar complaints when they added tank missions at the uh, Arkham Knight game. It's like, <laughs> yeah, nobody yeah. asked for this. I mean, it's kind of cool that you can ride the Batmobile, but... You can sneak around in a Batmobile. That's pretty absurd, <laughs> especially for a superhero game. I mean, it's supposed to be a tank, right? But you know what's yeah. even more ridiculous? The fact that you're in the Batmobile and then it's like, why is this get to places slower than actually just flying there? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. You know what I mean? Like, cause the Batmobile is supposed to be some like really you know exotic piece of a uh, luxury vehicle that you know looks cool, but yeah, it's supposed to get you to venues. I mean, like something like the Batmobile. Like, I think this is also something we would have to bring up. Is like sometimes fan service isn't worth it. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. You know what I mean? But also, like another thing is, um, I don't stick, uh, stick to the classics. <laughs> I would even say stick to the classics. I would say more like you know what, if you know what makes something work, just you know. I mean, like, that's the contrivance that I would usually have, like, especially when we review movies where I always complain that it's doing the same thing. Whereas in video games, like, I don't mind if it does the same thing, if it does it well. Just yeah, yeah, if it does it well, yeah. And yeah, this one in Marvel's Spider-Man, they do it really well. I mean, you could tell the influences of this game from other older games. I mean, like, you have to pay... I mean, I wouldn't even say it's an influence. I would say, like, they are very much aware of what is very marketable and what you know, sells, what... what like if they didn't add any of those Batman-ish kind of elements, right? I mean, it's it, it makes sense. It's like it's a checkbox you have to click. It's like yeah, basically, yeah. you know what? There hasn't been a good Batman game in a while. Arkham Knight was fine, yeah, but yeah. people still kind of miss you know Asylum and City, and like Rocksteady totally washed their hands of the project totally, right? Uh, there are rumors that they might be doing a Superman game, but again, rumors, so not confirmed, not denial. Or Which anything. is gonna be strange because like Superman is one of those characters that's like almost impossible to gamify because he's just yeah. so imba. Yeah, and even if you make a game out of it, you make some nuances like, this is not Superman, this is just some random guy who wears a cape and wears blue, you know? In the I mean, there's game. been very few Superman games. Everybody knows the Notorious Superman 64, which is <laughs> universally hated. Yeah, the, that was like a Superman game, which had a pretty okay premise where basically the city is your light bar. Oh, that's, oh yeah, you have to like keep... Yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, but you know what? Best Superman game so far? Uh, which one? Anytime he appears in those like Netherrealm games, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Injustice I'll, I'll is probably that. is, is that. the best Superman game because like yep, it feels like Superman. Yep, yep. But also at the same time, it's like you know what? Imagine like a proper Superman game. Like oh, you need to rescue the city and like you have to prevent all this like rubble or debris from this explosion from hitting like civilians and like you can imagine think like how boring that would be. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And then like it's like what would be the mid level or like the what you call like the cannon fodder for Superman because when you have a game like this especially a superhero game like why Batman is so easy to make into a good game is like he just beats up regular people and it's just basically like making a martial arts game or like a, a brawler so like that works but then if you have Superman fighting off like low level street thugs right yeah it's very embellished <laughs> no 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 that, I mean maybe it could be a time trial thing beat the beat up the enemies as fast as you can yeah, but you succeed like, if you get Superman has ice breath he can just freeze like normal humans you know and it, the thing is right the only way to make a good Superman game is you made a boss rush hmm. whereas like he like it just escalates with like you have to fight maybe like Caliban and then work up to Darkseid somehow Darkseid so uh, maybe bring up Who's a Doomsday as well? Or bring up a Zod and a couple uh, of others, Parasite. Or Zod, uh, you know, or like a, a Black Adam. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, no, you know what would be a great Superman game? is like if you made it like Hulk Ultimate Destruction. <laughs> where it's basically... No, like imagine those old uh, 3D uh, Dragon Ball fighting games where you're basically just... 
like Dragon Ball Xenoverse and Xenoverse exactly. 2 exactly so it's like and it also have the like this is the only time where I would appreciate it being in a medium is like those Zack Snyder level of destruction yeah, yeah. so imagine that like, imagine maybe a, like a Superman game would possibly be just like a simple tournament fighter like you mm-hmm. can try to attack on some story if you want but nobody would really care you just want to be Superman right yeah so you like you have combos you have basically your powers which is flying uh, ice breath uh, laser eyes and I don't know, like, quite recently they added, like, his solar bomb special, right, where basically he can just drain all the, like, all his energy and just, like, like explode like a star. Just <laughs> yeah, that was Which is, like, I don't know, who who wrote that? Like, Grant Morrison or something? No, no, I don't remember. Uh, Grant Morrison did All-Star Superman, that was, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not as old as All-Star Superman, but quite recently, I think maybe a year or two years ago, they, like, yeah. they, there was, like, some news about it where people brought up the fact that, like, hey, Superman's got a new power. Apparently, he can explode like a solar flare. It's like... Mm. Alright, like, that's the best idea you guys got? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I think we're I think we're off-tangent a bit here. So, back to Spider-Man. What so, we're you think I should recommend- It's a red and blue guy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I guess so, guy. yeah, I guess so, yeah, yeah. We're perfectly parallel to what we're talking about. Yeah. So, speaking this of from different comic companies. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, because the thing is, right, uh, I mean, we have to pay respects to DC for setting the tone for modern superhero games. Because if you do recall, like, I mean, why I mentioned the fact that I'm glad that this isn't a movie tie-in. Like, usually the only time we have superhero games is because it's a movie tie-in. Because the movie comes out and the studio, like, really wants the developer to, like, push out, like, a, a video game about this movie franchise that's coming out. And then they have, like, terrible release dates, terrible production schedules. And then you get, like, the Iron Man game. So you get that really dumb Thor Oh, game. even the Captain America game and that Thor game as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then, like, if you have a company, like, say, Capcom, like, oh, hey, make a fighting game with all characters and you can see the amazing things they have with the time and the budget and the money yes so i like i mean you know when i was looking at the the marvel spider-man game i thought to myself is like yeah i would definitely get this because it doesn't have the the luggage i mean not even luggage the baggage the baggage sorry. yes <laughs> the, baggage. the luggage uh, the louis vuitton luggage <laughs> of all this like uh louis know, vuitton like, by spider-man or spider-man <laughs> by louis vuitton imagine that a spider-man covered in like the brown with the monochrome pattern that'd be awesome yeah. And expensive. I'm pretty sure the license isn't cheap. Yes. Oh wait, or maybe it is because I I see I hear a lot of rappers just like adding Louis Vuitton to lyrics. But okay, what the point I was trying to get at is like you know what? it's nice to know that it's been about four or five years since the last Arkham game, or maybe longer, right? Uh, four or five years or so ish. Yeah. I mean, like the last Batman ish game was when like they were trying to tie in that VR mission stuff. No, that was the Telltale Batman game. Yeah, the Telltale one was. Uh, yeah. Was. Eh, meh, you know. I'm not a fan of the Telltales. I mean, I've said it very <laughs> several times on the podcast. Is like, yeah, I, I don't like what I don't, I don't like cutscene skippers where you have to press a button to see the next thing. Yeah. But also at the same time, it's like okay, there was the Batman VR game which was hit and miss, but unfortunately extremely expensive because the price point entry for like most virtual reality setups is like, you know, like a kidney and an arm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the prices haven't dropped since, so like I I mean, I'm even wondering whether like VR games will ever take off because. It, like in essence like if you think about it right like there was a whole big deal about VR for the last two E3s but like the, the recent E3 like nobody seems to be mentioning it anymore yeah because they know it's a fad and you're just gonna maybe just quietly I mean PlayStation is still on it but that's about it I mean, but, the I, mean only... I would even call it a fad is like a fad actually was popular for a while like do you have like 
all your friends telling you about their VR experiences? No, right? Probably not. Probably you got not. that one rich friend who could who bought it and is like, hey, you want to come over to my place and play VR? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's probably like the same rich kid who probably had a mega CD or whatnot. Like the Wait, same. I timeline. had a mega CD. I wasn't a rich kid. What are you talking about? Okay, maybe <laughs> it was pretty expensive back in Malaysia. I tell you that. Oh, maybe in Malaysia. Okay, like okay, like, for, even to do the sixteen bit comparison, it's for that one rich friend who had the Neo Geo. And yeah, you'd be that like, too, yes. Oh, okay. Like, and, but and the strange thing about the Neo Geo is like, you know, like you had the 16-bit Sega or the Super Nintendo and it's like, okay, I have like a four-hour, six-hour experience on this video game. Mm-hmm. You go over to your friend's house to play Neo Geo and it's just fighting games because that's all they bought it for. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, well, okay. All the KOFs and all the Fatal Furies. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, uh, not playing like Art of Fighting on a Neo Geo is like... Uh, <laughs> it's nice to be able to not have to like dump all these like all this money into an arcade machine just to yeah play and go game. to an ashtray filled arcade <laughs> as well <laughs> well I don't think we, I think we already had uh, no smoking arcades back in the day so I do recall but okay anyway it's nice to know that we can still tangent huh <laughs> yes we can we can so Marvel Spider-Man 8 out of 10 <laughs> I like it a lot. Out of 10? You could really? buy it if you can. Yeah, I mean, sure. It feels like a step towards something greater, and I assume I would think that the sequel, the eventual sequel, might be way better than that. But right now, we got a pretty awesome game that lives up to the Spider-Man name and everything. But was it like? Is it, is there anything planned, or is it like wouldn't like a game? It like made this? a lot within three days. I think about two million copies, three million copies, or more than that. But a sequel is confirmed already. So. I would say like, but would you also say that like why it made so much money is because there's such a stopgap between the last good superhero game and whatever is going to come up next? That too, yes. And yeah. I think the marketing from three years ago since when they announced it was... Yeah, they kept the hype train going. I mean, I appreciate that. But also at the same time, it's like... Um, I mean, would you call it an essential? Like, w- w- Essential buy... Okay, like if I have to... For this year especially, I would put it as a central buy, but mm. just, I mean, for you, in your case, if you just, since you're more of a gameplay guy, just put the difficulty to spectacular first. Spectacular. Right, so they have, what, what are the difficulty names okay, again? Uh, I forgot the beginner's one. I remember amazing is middle and spectacular is the hardest. <laughs> I think the first one would be, you know what they Sensational, should do? I guess. <laughs> here's, here's, a, here's an idea. You should rename all the difficu- difficulty levels. To the actors in order of relevance. Okay. So like, so easy would be Andrew Garfield. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we both agree Andrew Garfield would be the yes. worst one. Okay. Then we move up to maybe you know, uh, Tobey Maguire. Are we we just gonna do the Tom movie? Holland. Tom Holland in the middle for the Tom mainstream Spider-Man fans. Yeah, I would put to- I would put Tobey Maguire on top. You know, but yeah. like, oh man, see the name escapes me at this moment because who was the eighty Spider-Man the TV show? 80s TV show. There was an 80s TV show, if you recall. The not the Electric Company Spider-Man, right? No, no, he is super spectacular. Hardest. <laughs> He's like you have to unlock hard. Once you beat hard, you unlock Electric Company Spider-Man, and then like all the narration in the game is done by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. But doing it in the voice of Easy Reader. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, yeah, we. That, that could be like DLC down the line for the sequels. Uh, nah, I don't think they have. I, I don't think Morgan Freeman will have the time, the patience, or like the the sense of humor. But wouldn't that be cool? Like <laughs> it hey would there, be cool. Hey would be there, cool. boys and girls, this is Easy Rider. <laughs> oh, man. oh man! But okay, so uh, eight upon ten, mildly recommended or totally recommended from totally us recommended, us? especially for comic book fans and movie fans and you know general fans of the Spider-Man universe and the Spider-Man franchise and, and anything Spider-Man-ish and anything Spider-Man-ish so like if you're a Spider-Man fan definitely a worthy uh, p- 
piece to add to the collection. Yeah, yeah. I actually got my sisters actually playing this, and they're just casual Spider-Man fans. That's that's the level. That's how good this game is. You know, what, yeah. You know, props to Tom Holland for making Spider-Man kind of relevant again and like bringing it back to the the, the next generation. Oh, and they also have this pretty cool uh, Spider-Man outfit, the Spider-Punk outfit. So props Spider-Punk. to that, lah, You know, what's Spider-Punk? Uh, it's British Spider-Man who likes Clash and you know, um, oh, really? Sex Pistols. Yeah. Does he got like? So he's like dressed as a Union Jack. Uh, there is a Union Jack motif to his outfit because you know, and uh, yeah, he's got the spike. He doesn't have a mohawk. He's more like spikes on his head that's shaped like a mohawk. All right. Oh, okay. I know what you mean. And a guitar as well, too, for his special move. <laughs> a guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there you go. So uh, speaking of video games and speaking of swinging from... Uh, swinging from a thread? Uh, heights? Swinging yeah. From thre- hanging from a thread. Hanging, hanging from a thread, line. yes. Uh, the, another video game came out very recently, which yeah. has been getting a lot of mixed reviews, I noticed. Mm-hmm. And... Um, well, you know, I'm sure you've definitely dabbled in this one. Yeah, yeah, I believe we're talking about Shadow of the Tomb Raider, is that correct? Yeah, we're going to talk about Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So yeah, yeah. this is just basically for the SEO. Because the thing is, like, I, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> because everybody's going to be like looking for like Shadow of the Tomb Raider and like, who better than the last king to review a game? So yeah, uh, Mr. Yeah. Toffee, uh, have you had a hand, your hands on, okay, I was about to say, uh, have, you, have you tried Shadow of the Tomb Raider? I did, actually. I played through most of it. I finished the story, still trying to replay a bunch of the tombs and the crypts and the challenge stuff here and there. And I'd say it's not too bad. I mean, I'm not going to put this in my high echelon of games for this year. But for what it's worth, and keep in mind, I skipped out on Rise of the Tomb Raider. Mm. I played the 2011 Tomb Raider. And I played the other Tomb Raiders as well beforehand. Even Even the... Angel of Darkness. You know, yeah. before Angel of Darkness, you know, like let's yeah. set some context for the Last King fans. How about this? Like you, what? Which one is your favorite Tomb Raider? And I'll tell you mine. Okay, <laughs> I will have to go with. T- okay, what was the the second reboot? Um, the one where t- Tomb Raider Anniversary. That was actually my favorite. You like that one? I'm yeah, a, yeah. I'm a I'm a Tomb Raider three kind of guy because like they, they kind of fixed the aiming mechanic because like the first Tomb Raider it was like impossible. Like if you recall, just shooting straight was a bit of a challenge because it was like you know I mean she moved awkwardly yeah but like it also at the same that's time, a product of its time lah it is a product of its time and it's like it's strange to think that this game is still making waves basically based on I would say just the fact that she has like um, I mean she's just part of the pop culture now because like whenever you hear people talk about Tomb Raider especially like older video game guys it's like they don't talk about like the gameplay they talk about how like that was their first like you know their first video game crush their after, first video before, game crush which was before, before Tifa came into the picture before Tifa like <laughs> bro I've, I was a My Shit Runaway <laughs> fanboy for the yeah. longest time ever since King of Fighters 97 it's like damn <laughs> yeah exactly exactly pixels never look so attractive <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, and then, and then there's the few weird guys who say, like, oh, I've always been in love with Samus Aran. Like, it's, it could have been anybody in that space suit. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. At least go for someone like Chun-Li or... Chun-Li? Uh, Te- or Terra from Final Fantasy VI or whatnot. Terra from Final Fantasy VI? Nah. Not Tifa Longheart. Tifa Longheart. Yep, I guess so. Yeah, So, yeah. it's like, yeah, then, like, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, if you recall back in the day when, like, Tomb Raider made a splash, okay, it's like... 
Do you recall like how it just it was just something everybody talked about but nobody talked about like the quality of the game it was just like Yeah, oh. they talked about Lara herself, how she became a actually marketing had fallen this like she was a sex symbol. She was in that infamous cover where Duke Nukem was covering her unmentionables and whatnot. It was she, which is weird. Like, it was a weird time. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, if you do recall, Playboy did make Marge like Playmate of the Year one time. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Did. So it's like, yeah, it's all up to the imagination, but also the same And time. a few more years later, I think Blood Blood Rain was also Playmate or Penthouse. Really? Was it Penthouse? Yeah. Blood well. Rain from the horrible video game and movie. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Lara Croft was well, but Lara Croft did started this trend where you know you've got this female icon in video games that a lot of women can look up to. But on the flip side, you got men also looking up to her in another different way, of uh, course. But here, okay, here's the conversation I want to have. Do you have any female friends who says, "Oh yes, I think of uh, Lara Croft as like a feminist icon"? Like, no, that's a strange thing. They <laughs> only right. thought of uh, which, which Tara and Celeste and even Tifa as a more feminist icon, like you know, taking the reins in the in the, in the games they're in. You know, I mean, I would give Chun Li a feminist icon. Because, that like, too, yeah, Chun Li. Thank you. Like, yes, the first lady of fighting games, and she went toe to toe. All her opponents were men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like, and guess what? None of us brought it up. You know, and if anything, like she's an we did at the time, but not in the middle when Tomb Raider popped up. You know, she was kind of forgotten and then came back again. You know, back and forth. Forgotten when Tomb Raider came out, Third Strike was the thing, and she was the most brokenness of all the characters. Yeah, <laughs> but also at the same time, it's like I think that it was like when Tomb Raider came out. Which Final Fantasy was out? It was between. It was definitely seven, seven, seven. or eight, right? Yeah, I remember those two games were very close together, and um. I guess so. Of course, like, I do remember when the first Tomb Raider game came out, like, everybody was just talking about how it's an okay game. And, like, none of my friends, like, ever brought up the hype. But it was strange that I would hear the hype from other sources. Like, I do remember, like, getting a copy of FHM magazine and then they made, like, uh, they had this whole, like, uh, sp- uh, spread, like a full sp- a full spread article about like you know uh, sexy video game characters and I found that very awkward. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like it, it was, was very cringe inducing. Like saying like oh look at all these uh, women in video games and it's like uh, okay so okay. that's cool I guess and and then that's a strange thing because like you know then it would lead on to uh, the Angelina Jolie movie. And in the very recent uh, what, Vikander, what, I can't remember her full name. Alexandra Vikander, right? Uh, yeah, and then she's the new Lara Croft, and then, like she did an okay job, I guess. And, and then beforehand, like you know, that movie was based on the game that came out in two thousand eleven. That that was the third reboot of uh, the Tomb Raider franchise. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's like they kind of want to make uh, you know the Lara Croft like a bigger a more like fleshed out version of what she was back in the 90s in the late 90s I mean can I say let's just say for what it is like uh, to, okay Tomb Raider is basically a rip off of Uncharted which is literally a rip off of Tomb Raider <laughs> see how the Ouroboros of ripping offness happens so yeah it's just video games eating themselves all over again because one inspired yeah. the other which inspired the next one and like yeah I mean I'm a, I was a fan of the first Tomb Raider reboot I mean like it had very graphic dev scenes which was very sorry which kind of like whoa okay you know especially whenever you failed jumps or whatever and it, the, the stuff that would happen to Lara oh the raft scene I mean the part where she's on the river rapids and then that that, that you know those, those broken pieces of trees and woods oh would just God. stick her in the neck Painful. right and it's like uh. really did it have to be this like visceral unnecessary <laughs> I think but I also enjoyed the fact that it was like it took the best parts of like games like Uncharted and it's like okay it's a lot of uh, puzzles and uh, shoot 'em up sections and uh, oh hey some actual tombs to raid you know, mm-hmm. you know some of these uh, treasure collecting moments 
Then I want to also bring up the fact that the sequel, Rise of the Tomb Raider, greatly disappointed me. Ah, <laughs> uh, how how I mean, how bad was it? I mean, I didn't get to play that. I mean, like, I've mentioned several times on the podcast before. It's like you know, I hate it when games overemphasize the story and they like you know put push the gameplay to the side, thinking that's what a lot of video gamers want. And like, okay, there is a a a, a, a very vocal section that do want more narrative gameplay. But like what I felt about Rise of the Tomb Raider is like it's basically a, just a reskin of the first game with just a few extra stuff, you know what I mean? Like it's just a change of locale, but you know it didn't really add on because I think I would be I was the kind of guy who was like I want more tombs, you know what I mean? And I would yeah. and I, I I totally appreciated the end of the first to- like the the recent Tomb Raider reboot it was like oh they brought back the supernatural stuff the the very hokey Indiana Jones stuff, mm-hmm. like I totally respected that because it's like I I remember people were kind of like. Uh, like adamant about it when Uncharted tried to make it a bit more supernatural cause like I, I, I actually did enjoy Uncharted 2 and 3 because of the supernatural bits yeah you know yeah. I mean, it's like, because the thing is like I, and I would say like it was also an attempt from Naughty Dog to kind of distance Uncharted from the obvious ripoff of Tomb Raider and then they were and just it's more based, of a ripoff of Indiana Jones it's more of a ripoff of Indiana Jones it's like oh we're not ripping off Tomb Raider no we're ripping off Indiana Jones and it's like Whatever, man. Just yeah, make good better, games. Better source material. Why not? Sure. <laughs> Whatever rocks your boat, you know. And then, like, okay, so there's a third Tomb Raider game, yeah. and um, so Mr. Toffee, what does it do differently, and has it improved on uh, the misstep that I felt the, the Rise of Tomb Raider was? Well, for one, they brought in Idols Montreal, the guys who did Deus Ex: Human Revolution, to do this game. Which means there's actually a bit more emphasis on hubs, you know, town hubs with side quests. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So instead of like just going through a linear stage with some open-ended areas halfway through where you're hunting animals, mm-hmm. you actually have like interconnecting areas kind of like the 2011, 2011 Tomb Raider reboot. But at the same time, you got the hubs that actually flesh out a bit more about where you're at and then also getting sweet loot out of it. La. So like basically for, like Super Mario World. In a way, it's, more, <laughs> it's actually more like Deus Ex, I mean, the Human Revolution games, basically, or Mankind Divided. Because they because literally they're had doing the assets lying around, they just had to reskin that, huh? I mean, they only reskinned the structure, but in mm. terms of assets, I think they made new... Because it's an entirely new setting, it's in the jungle setting. Mm-hmm. A bit cliched, but definitely more detailed and a bit more... I guess there's a bit more dirt and whatnot, and, you know, a bit more added effects and... You know, prettier stuff, more or less, for the covered jungle here. Did you just say Tomb Raider adding jungle locations cliche? Dude, it's part of the trope. (laughs) I guess so, yeah, part of the trope, yes, part of the trope. Like, imagine Tomb Raider set in an urban setting, like, this isn't Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah. What, you're gonna rate the post office? (laughs) (laughs) But in this case, yeah, it's like, okay, I guess we're going back to form, like, how the, the earlier Tomb Raiders were, but at the same time... Yeah, I kind of like what this what they're doing in terms of like again, there are actually more crypts and more challenge tombs and puzzles that li- are littered in. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to actually spend a bit more effort looking for the places and buying the correct weapons slash items to actually access certain tombs. Okay, and also solving certain puzzles. I felt that it's actually a bit less brain dead than you're pushing the block puzzles, yeah. like the, like was like they were in the first reboot. You know, in that yeah, reboot. Yeah. I mean, like, like my favorite puzzle so far is um the one where you kind of have to turn a bunch of like spouting water spouts to make certain levels of the water go out so you can actually go to certain areas or or even the one puzzle where you kind of have to make the oil leak to a certain path so you can uh, light up a bonfire. I mean, like, can we all safely say like, okay, if you want to do physics puzzles or like environment puzzles, right? Just look at Half Life Two and how amazing that was. 
you know especially like all those moments where like you know it's just basically physics puzzles it's like okay you put all the cement blocks on this plank so that you'll raise the platform high enough so that Gordon Freeman can drive the, the car out like, or okay. even portal puzzles yeah, the, yeah you know opening up new holes and stuff this one's more like um, yeah this is more like brain teasers and like turning certain locks and turning certain structures so that it goes your way more or less you gotta like think, you gotta look at it from a certain perspective so you know what you're looking at mm. okay but I mean more, it doesn't really break the flow of the game right not really. I mean, it's it's called Tomb Raider. You're supposed to raid tombs, and you do a lot of that basically. So I mean, like, props what, to that. Why I brought that up is like how people brought the, up the fact that like, oh, there's all these boring parts where you're in a tomb and you need to do puzzles. Like, yeah, it's a Tomb Raider game. Yeah, That's and you do. A, and I remember one guy on Facebook complaining about, yeah, you do all climbing. It's a Tomb Raider game. You're it's supposed a, to climb. You're supposed stuff. to do stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, this. yeah, exactly. You know, it's even worse if you hit like those those random guys who'd be like, oh, this feels so much like Uncharted. It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because Uncharted is. The Tomb Raider ripoff. <laughs> I think my only gripe with this Tomb Raider in particular, I mean, I enjoyed the game for what it is, and I enjoyed the puzzles and the shooting as well. And oh my god, the stealth mechanic for this is actually. I, I felt that. I played Metal Gear Solid 5, I played Metal Gear Solid 4, mm-hmm. I played this game. Yeah. I guess it's like kinda. I get that same vibe when I play those games because this is like a really good stealth game. Like, you. Okay. I mean, when enemies come in, before you get detected, you cover yourself in mud, you hide in walls. You can even kill enemies by hanging them on the rope through your bow and arrow and your rope technique, I guess. I mean, covering yourself in mud. <laughs> Are we going to bring up... That's something we're going to bring up in another conversation very soon. Yeah, yeah. It's like that particular character we'll bring up much later, you know. <laughs> I think she's a better... She's that better archetype, you know. I, I mean, I I fear for the enemy's life when I control Lara in this particular game. What? Know? No, you're not supposed to fear their life. You're supposed to enjoy hunting them down. <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. Yes, yeah, yeah. I almost feel sorry because Lara is kind of OP when she's in stealth mode, in a sense. No, oh, so it's like, is it not as challenging as previous Tomb Raiders? No, I mean, it is challenging, especially when you can bump up the difficulty. That's what I like about the game because you got three difficulty modes like exploration difficulty, combat difficulty, and puzzle difficulty. So you can crack it up as high as you want, like each different section. So you can choose which part you want to oh, be the most difficult. So you can yeah. mix and match the challenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the most yeah. you've done basically is like if you put the puzzle bits to easy mode, they'll just tell you outright what. Like, <laughs> Lara will just be like, oh, I gotta do this and that when you click on the R3 button. You know what'd be amazing is like you're playing like one of these tombs and then you switch the puzzle halfway and then all of a sudden the walls open up and just just press this button. <laughs> Literally, a okay, huge they, they neon don't have sign. that, thankfully. Yeah. This is the way that. out. <laughs> yeah, thankfully they don't have that. I mean, they have some respect for the player, you know, so. Really? Respect for the player? No. If they had any respect for the player, it's like, no, no, no. Here's a stick, here's a piece of bone, and here's a jewel. Figure out how to get out of this trap. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, there you go. I think, again, like I meant, like, to go back to what I said, my only gripe is, yeah, I guess the story, I mean, it's not, probably not worth talking about, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay, let's do that, because I want to ask you, like, what are your thoughts on Gritty Tomb Raider? It's, it works for what it is. I mean, at least we think that Lara isn't as invincible or as carefree as you would think she is because in this story for Tomb Raider she kind of did something she took a treasure from a undisclosed temple and then caused a Peruvian sorry Mayan apocalypse you know so an entire <laughs> town gets washed out because she pulled this treasure from god knows where you know, I so- mean <laughs> it's actually the fault of the group called Trinity La in the game but she feels partly responsible, so Wait, the story kind of goes in that direction where, you know, she tries she causes, to... I got to be one to solve, solve this problem and stuff. She causes know? a Peruvian what? Uh, uh, apocalypse. 
So like According to this game The entire content, uh, The entire country of Peru Has been destroyed By Lara Croft uh, Okay uh, A village lah Basically it, The, the, oh, the okay. apocalypse starts small And then By the end It starts <laughs> getting bigger And bigger You know So You know That shall be your tagline For the rest of your life The apocalypse starts small And it's just a picture of you <laughs> <laughs> But anyway So I'm assuming <laughs> Oh man But I mean Okay um, Like So Are you a fan of original Tomb Raider or this current Tomb Raider's like uh, character arc? I kind of appreciate what they're doing in this Tomb Raider arc yeah. because in the 2011 reboot, I kind of liked this Lara a bit more. Mm. But I felt that in this one, she felt a bit more selfish until like later on in the story. Okay. Where she's like, oh, I got to do this because it's my obligation. It's my thing. It's my vendetta against this group where she's just wrecking the lives of everyone around her, la, more I'm, or less. I mean like... As I mentioned before, like a lot of people consider Lara Croft as like, a very pioneering feminist icon for video gamer girls. I don't know what the actual term for gamer girls. I think gamer girls will actually kind of prefer this Lara Croft, which is strange because the thing is like if you think about empowerment and you think about self confidence, like the original Lara Croft was just basically a very wealthy lady who decides to spend her money and her free time. Basically, you know, robbing graves, robbing and graves, <laughs> going on like amazing, like you know, adventures around the world, and it's like yeah, she's just gallivanting from uh, relic to relic. But now they decided to make her like some uh, broken, dirty kind of like uh, you know, started from the bottom, coming <laughs> of age girl who's also rich, mind you. Don't forget, she's uh, also she, rich in this. Sure, world. like and like, <laughs> in as per conversation earlier, like oh, so they're trying to make her like Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Um, so she's a ish, rich. Yeah. She's a rich girl who goes through a little bit of trauma and suffers some hard knocks before she eventually becomes the Tomb Raider. Because like like, was, like Bruce Wayne before he becomes Batman, you know, like mm. he still travels around the world and stuff, right? Yeah, but, like, I mean, that was like the whole thing about that first Tomb Raider was because like I think the like not the game developers but the people writing the story they wanted to tell the story of Lara before she became the very confident and the very uh you know. You know, world travel Lara that we're all grown to love. Like, what was she like before that? Like, how did she? What What was the training and what was the experience she had that made her the person she was? And the, that's the thing I want to like. Uh, that that's what I found annoying about Rise of the Tomb Raider, because it's like, okay, so we did the gritty like uh, Batman Begins thing. Let's do the fun Dark Knight thing where like, okay, now we just see her as Lara Croft just kicking ass, and like they didn't do that for Rise of the Tomb Raider. Like, I mean. Granted, I don't always complain about story, but like to me, it felt like oh, we're just gonna repeat what we did the last time because apparently this got enough like uh, you know dollars, and like it's like shouldn't she be like the confident Lara Croft by now? Because like uh, why are we saving it till she hits like you know thirty five? What what's going on? Ah, in that case, um, in this Shadow of Tomb Raider, I, I with that context I got, I think she is so confident in that sense, but. She needs someone like her, aid the camp, Jonah, and the other people she meets to actually put her grounded in a sense. Really? I mean, she still has her moments where she breaks down and cries, but she still, at the end of the day, she's still the friggin' Terminator in this when she's fighting. I, mean, I guess. Like, but this one that I'm saying is like speaking of empowerment is like okay, do we really need to see her break down and cry? I mean, like just take like one of the greatest villains of all time, Darth Vader, and like look at the the prequel trilogy is like. Okay, this is not how you do an origin story. We don't want to see a whiny, cranny <laughs> like person. Like, how does this become like the greatest villain of all time? You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> it's such a disjointed feeling. And like the original, I mean, the Tomb Raider reboot was basically saying like, okay, we're gonna like, 
we're gonna tie in with Tomb Raider the universe it's like not it's a reboot but also at the same time it's just like you know like an origin story it's like yeah, okay yeah. cool and like yeah okay I get it you're doing the Christopher Nolan we're gonna gritty it up we're gonna make it as modern and as postmodern as possible and you know okay and yeah that sells that apparently got people to buy the game and the thing is right people I would say like you know I mean the story's fine you know I do appreciate the gritty reboot every once in a while and I do also say that sometimes a gritty reboot is totally unnecessary hashtag Power Rangers <laughs> but also at the same time it's like okay we had enough of like the, the Dark Lara can we just have a very well done triple A Tomb Raider game where like a carefree Lara in a sense I, would, I mean like the thing is the character's not even that important you know what I mean like why are you spending so much money on telling a backstory that's barely interesting because it's like you can point to so many other things in pop culture and say like yeah uh, the gritty, the dark gritty reboot's been done in yeah, fact, yeah. just look at DC movies like everything seems like a dark gritty reboot except for the upcoming Shazam movie which is very promising it's very bright and colourful and cartoony which is what's needed lah, I guess I guess but so. I felt that but I did feel that this particular Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, not, not Rise sorry the Shadow that, that reboot yeah Shadow of Tomb Raider it kind of fit in the sense of progression especially since I kind of skipped the game so maybe I liked it a bit more <laughs> that's why <laughs> maybe uh, I think this and, and like you know what and the name also kind of just like hints at oh are we standing in the shadow of the original Tomb Raider or what was a lot of people have been making that claim and all that but at yeah. the end of the day I enjoyed what I played I mean obviously not as much as the other games I played this year but mm. for, for what it's worth when I played it I wasn't bored. I mean, sure, I did skip a bunch of cutscenes for the story, especially with yeah. the whole Lara talking to people here and there, with the talking heads, with the my, with the Peruvian village and everything. Okay. But going through the side quests, getting a really kick-ass, uh, awesome handgun when I actually completed one of the very first uh, side quests, and I've used that throughout the entire game, mm. and that's so fun, you know, powering up Lara and getting all these different shotguns and just spending my sweet time exploring the crypts and see how dark and how windy these pathways and all these ruins can go that's mm. still pretty fun so it's, it's still a good Tomb Raider game it's a good Tomb Raider but not essential I would suggest mm. you buy a half price version of this game probably yeah. on the Steam sale I mean like okay if you appreciate the the, the the dark gritty Lara I mean like the reboot did everything I mean it said everything you need to say about you know a dark gritty reboot of Lara Croft right yeah, yeah, and I still feel like at this point in time, it's like, yeah, can we just get a, a decent Tomb Raider game? Because Basically, like, they want to do this because they want to have to they create a Tal- Lara Croft that everyone can take seriously. But Not the that's the strange Lara thing Croft. is like, I, I, this is the Lara Croft I can't take seriously. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's like r- really, you're supposed to convince me that this character is gonna like evolve into the Lara Croft that we all know and love, because like, okay, I mean, like, let's, I'm gonna just say. As simple as possible. I want my Tomb Raider game to feel like Uncharted. (laughs) I want Lara Croft to be like, you know, what Nathan Drake is based on. Like a very confident, uh, you know, explorer, adventurer, slash archaeologist or slash, you know, grave robber. And like, that's what I want. You know, I want like, you know, fun, quippy. It's like, imagine romancing the stone, the video game. Yeah, yeah. I see what what you're getting at. That's what I want. Like... Like why I did enjoy Rise of the Tomb Raider. I mean, it's not uh, not that the the gameplay was basically just you know more of the same, but the thing is like the cutscenes kind of turned me off to it. It's like yeah, this is not. I mean, I know like there there's a new generation of Lara Croft fans, 
maybe you know who appreciate this version mm-hmm. or how more grounded or whatever but it's like it's a video game character like the story doesn't matter mm-hmm. if anything I want the cutscenes to entertain me as I'm waiting for the the game to load <laughs> you know that's what cutscenes are for that. boys and girls they're basically placeholders for the game engine and the environments to load in the background as you wait for your optical disc to spin <laughs> let's be honest yeah, yeah, now now we're all going digital, and yeah, I probably need to replace my hard disk drive. But you know, yeah. yeah, so I mean, like, I mean, would you agree with me? Like, imagine the new Tomb Raider game, right? Okay, let's get rid of all this uh, unnecessary like emo stuff, and like you know, just make a like Uncharted is a, a Tomb Raider ripoff. So like, just show Uncharted like no, this is how it's done. Okay, this is how you create like that jet setting adventurer. And yeah, with memorable set pieces. Yeah. At the very least, I mean, to its credit, I did enjoy like some bits in Shadow of Tomb Raider, like with the oil rig section and even uh, the, the the temple before the oil rig and mm. some and then and the water puzzle area I mentioned during the side quests and stuff, the challenging tombs and all that. So that I mean, it's not like I said everything's presented generically. I mean, there is still some fun, to, some fun to be had. Yeah, but I mean, I. I mean, I'm not gonna be that interested in this game because what I want is a quippy one-liner dropping Lara Croft. Yeah, you're not getting this. You're not getting yeah, that. Yeah, and Croft I'm not gonna one. get that. And you know what? The thing is, right? If you can, like, uh, a good parable would be what's happening with the comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine the Thor Ragnarok version of Tomb Raider. <laughs> like, get rid of the serious stuff. Let's just be fun and goofy and just go crazy and have like huge set pieces which are. You know, like put some comedy in there, like make it fun and colorful. Like that's what I want. Like, guys, square. Okay, I get it. You need to get this out of your system. Can I get a Lara Croft game where it's like you know, kind of fun to be grave robbing? <laughs> Instead of like feeling mildly guilty about ruining someone's culture or some ancient civilization. I mean, like things. yeah, exactly. You know, like like you're 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 trying to be so precarious about things. It's like. I remember the, like the old Tomb Raider games, like you know, you would shoot dogs and you wouldn't feel anything because <laughs> attack me. Yeah, they're, they're, they're evil dogs. They're evil German shepherds. Oh, like yeah, you know, like this guard dog is gonna bite me, so I need, I need to shoot it. And then like you play like a current Tomb Raider game, and then you can see the thing yelp and fall, and then like you feel bad. It's like it was either him or me. Why do I have to make moral choices in a Tomb Raider game? Yeah, <laughs> this is strange. I'm glad it didn't go for the whole blue, uh, blue is good or Paragon or Renegade thing. So at least. Gameplay is fine, so yeah. colorful Tomb Raider. I think that reboot is kind of due from Crystal Dynamics and Idols Montreal. I would say, but, yeah, like yeah. let's put this Tomb Raider to rest. Like, <laughs> I, I would just say, you know what, Shadow of Tomb Raider, the, the Tomb Raider trilogy, the dark reboot, whatever. Yeah, I think that trilogy is done. Can so we, hopefully, we, we'll go back we to Campy. Can we go back to the fun Lara Croft that you know yeah. maybe people will feel less. Like I said before, like maybe that would be a good entry point too. Because yeah, like, yeah. If you want little girls to play this game, would you recommend little girls to play any of these Tomb Raider games? Eh, no. Naturally, no. It's it's an M rated game, so probably not. Bingo. You know, yeah. it like I think the Tomb Raider anniversary did a pretty good job at rebooting it. Anniversary, yes. Legend, and Underworld. Those the were one fun. that came out in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, right? Or before that as well. It came out on PS two time, if I recall. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. I want a fun Tomb Raider game. Like, okay, enough with the greedy reboots. Move on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, any final thoughts or scores? Or are we still in preview phase? I guess I, s- I actually did put the review down on the Last King podcast website, lastking.net. Please visit. The Last King.net, yeah. Yes, and share the articles once in a while. We, we write, <laughs> besides yeah, yeah. talk. 
Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I'm sticking to my score that I put there, 7 out of 10. Still fun, but maybe you could just cut loose to the whole story. Not essential, I mean, like, if you haven't played the other two games, maybe... You, you can start with this, you're not really yeah, missing out. You, yeah, you can, you can start. I mean, you at least you can see a nice, you know, nice spelunking adventure Grave Robin game, you know. Well, you know... Still fun. And, uh, okay, tell you what, we're gonna take a quick break, and uh, speaking of uh, hiding in the jungle covered in mud and movies and stuff that really don't need to be rebooted... <laughs> okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna be talking about uh, one of the biggest movie offerings, Shane Black's The Predator, right after the this. The Predator. Hey, here we go. We're going to talk about this really, quote-unquote, awesome movie we saw quite a while back. (laughs) We don't need to say quote-unquote anymore. (laughs) This movie was terrible, and I called it when I saw it. When I saw the trailer, I called it. And we are, of course, referring to The The Predator, 2018. This movie's been out for about a couple of weeks, you know. And unfortunately, it's the only big release that we're going to have for a while until... Uh, what's coming up soon? Uh, like, what, what else is the only other thing that's out right now is Johnny English, and I'm sure our Lasking <laughs> fans don't really care that much about Rowan Atkinson. Uh, they're showing uh, Searching, the film starring John Cho looking for his daughter through web browsers and search histories. Oh yeah, I heard about that. I heard it's interesting, but probably all right. Okay, another movie that I saw recently that I really want to talk about, but I'm gonna save it until Tom comes back, is Mandy. In fact. I would say Mandy would be what like I've been kind of championing Annihilation as my film of the year for 2018. I think Mandy is my favorite film of this year just Ooh. for being really out there. And I saw the trailer, man, I really want to see that. I was kind of hoping they show it in Malaysia. You know what? I'm not even going to spoil anything, but maybe like okay, a lot of one thing I need to bring up is the fact that a lot of people are kind of confused by what it is they're watching. And it's basically I mean, it's cinema verite. It's just a visual spectacular. I mean, it's a very simple. Uh, it's a very simple story. Okay, I don't reveal so much because the the story the, the story is extremely bare bones. So just mentioning anything could spoil it. But it's basically a tour de force of uh, visuals and just 
pure Nicolas Cagey. Mm, okay, <laughs> I do is, is love Nicolas... me some Nicolas Cage. Yes, you acting. know what I mean. Is like I think he top Wickerman in terms of over the top. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and Wickerman's like... a bad movie. So imagine if it's in a good movie. <laughs> okay, but I would compare this. Like a lot of people are comparing this to uh, I don't know. Um, I I really can't think of any other movie besides something like Hobo with a Shotgun or Turbo Kid. <laughs> oh, I miss Hobo with a Shotgun as well. But you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, it has yeah. a very particular aesthetic, and it's basically just using the aesthetic as the storytelling tool rather than the story itself. Mm-hmm. Like the story is just supplemental to the visuals. And you know what? I saw this movie. Something t- like Neon Demon. And, something uh, like Neon Demon. Some uh, like uh, it's very similar to like a, a Nicholas Winding Refn movie. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, it was like the most fun I had in the cinema since Infinity War. All right, all right. You know what I mean? Like only two movies this year actually made me, like, hit me in the chest. Like uh, Infinity War because of all, like you know, just being a pop culture aficionado and it's just like having all this happen in front of me. Uh, and then the thing is watching Mandy. Like I went in zero expectations. I actually, kind of okay. I wouldn't say zero. Like a little bit, uh, getting ready to be underwhelmed. And then like. I wasn't blown away, but it, like just seeing the choices that this movie made, <laughs> I was like, you know what, I want to watch this again. Like this is the first time this year I went to the cinema twice. You know, like for I, the same I, movie. I watched this movie. I, was like, I gotta see that again. <laughs> I need to be sure that I like this. You know, and I walk. I walked in, and here's the thing, Mandy is better the second time. Once you, right. like, once you expect things, and you start paying attention to the details, and you can see how the director is like, oh, this guy. Really loves visuals. I, I'll just say that. Okay, so extremely recommended. Uh, but be prepared for a future episode where we do our yearly roundup. Yep. Yep. Mandy definitely contender for bad movie of the year for me. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. It does sound like you're stalling before you get to the bad stuff because you don't feel like talking about the bad I stuff. I want to say something <laughs> nice first before we talk about uh, Shane Black's attempt at adding to the Predator universe. Okay, this is a movie that a lot of people were kind of. Were, were we even clamoring for this? I you were. Know, I mean, I'm pretty sure you thought that this would be a good idea. You kind I of. I was holding out on hope because I thought Shane Black could. I mean, again, this is because of the stuff he did with the nice guys and kiss, kiss, bang, bang. But okay, but I was wrong. <laughs> think, think about it this way: like, yeah, he did the nice guys. He did kiss, kiss, bang, bang. He also did the Little Weapon series. He wrote them, mm-hmm. and, but he also ruined Iron Man three. <laughs> My that opinion is debatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my again. opinion, Shane Black ruined Iron Man three. I did not enjoy Iron Man three <laughs> okay, at all. Okay, okay, and not just because of what he did with the with the Mandarin, but because like the entire story felt like such a disjointed mess. The structure and flow wasn't gelling with you very much, sense. like this movie, <laughs> which came. But this off one was more apparent in how disjointed and conf- needlessly conf- needlessly confusing it was. Honestly, I mean, it added so many elements and like. Okay, the first thing is, like, uh, here's a brief synopsis. Predator comes back to Earth, and instead of uh, attacking a special forces team or a very down-and-out street cop uh, with... Uh, he's delivering a FedEx package, apparently. <laughs> he's basically delivering something. <laughs> this, oh, my God. Uh, okay, and See how stupid that sounds <laughs> already? Just so the Predator in this movie is very similar to the, the previous Predators. Uh, comes to Earth uh, to give humanity uh, a, okay, a present. I'm not going to spoil too much, but okay, that is the premise of uh, why he returns to Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, this Predator is tracked by a larger, more uh, terrifying Predator, the 11-foot 
Predator, the, the they call it the Update Predator. I think the that's CGI the official Predator, the Black Predator. No, they called it the Update Predator. That's update. like what they, that's what the characters actually referenced him as. Oh, the Update Predator. <laughs> what's he doing? It's like, did you just call this larger Predator the Update Predator? And it's like, okay, so it's that kind of movie. But that you see, that's not even the moment where I checked out of the of the film. Oh, which part did you check out? The moment I checked out of the film was when I saw Olivia Munn in tennis shoes running after the Predator holding a Nerf gun. And I thought to myself, like, <laughs> yeah, this movie does... This is not a Predator movie. This is... This is so goofy right now. I think I was yelling at the screen, why are you chasing after the Predator if you don't have special ops training or whatnot chasing this guy? No, because Jake, Busey, <laughs> because Jake Busey told her, don't let him escape. It's like... You just met the guy and you're actually going to do what he asks you to do? <laughs> exactly. It's just, really? Like this uh, This is something that you need to try and pull off by yourself. Yeah, because biologists are known for chasing after very dangerous game with a tranquilizer gun, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> a tranquilizer gun. Wait, wait. So here, Not her, an actual gun, a tranquilizer gun. Sure. Like she's running around with a tranquilizer gun. So her plan is to tranquilize the predator, sedate him, and somehow deliver him back to the lab... With what exactly? Like, with all your biology training, studying those Okay, okay. Stuff. I think <laughs> we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Okay, so the Predator is uh, the long-awaited addition to the Predator franchise. Uh, the last one being uh, the Predators movie, or just Predators. Predators, with Adrian, Predators. With Adrian Brody, uh, directed by... Was it? It was directed by Robert Rodriguez, right? Or produced Robert by Rodriguez, also starring um, Topher Grace, if I recall. Also starring uh, everybody's favourite Brody, Adrian Brody. Yes. As yes. you know, like him as an action man doing the Batman voice, very strange. I actually enjoyed Predators in retrospect. I actually you know. enjoyed Predators too. And the thing is, it was silly as, uh, it was very silly. But you know what? <laughs> it was a nice logical, uh, like you know, progression from what else could they do with this character or this franchise? Yeah. Just and have I, Predators have their own planet jungle thing and toss humans inside. Yeah. In dangerous game. Exactly. Eh, sure, why not? <laughs> Sure, no, I had fun. I mean, especially like that whole Lawrence Fishburne moment. <laughs> yeah, that bit. Where did he come from? Yeah, <laughs> like, crazy hobo Lawrence Fishburne. Crazy hobo Lawrence Fishburne, you know, and he recreated the role again in John Wick Two, if you remember. <laughs> yes, yes. He oh was basically oh, isn't this the crazy hobo from Predators in John Wick Two? Anyway, so um. We should actually talk about what's the magic of the first two Predator films. You want to do that? You want to establish how what we love about the first Predator movie? The first Predator movie... I think movie it's easy. It's the simplicity of the plot. It's about what's the most dangerous thing you than man. What's more dangerous than yeah. man? What's more dangerous than man? Okay, what's the most dangerous version of man? The Special Forces man. Yeah. And like, you know what? Getting the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sonny Lanham, Carl Weathers, Jesse the Body Ventura. Yes. You know, to play these guys and to see them actually get terrified and scared of the first Predator. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay. You know, this is like, I mean, basically, imagine a slasher movie, but it's not hunting teenage girls. Is hunting machismo 80s uh, archetypes. It's basically uh, hunting the expendables. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes, I'll just say expendables. <laughs> okay, and, and the thing is, right, it was at the peak of uh, 80s action. And, it, and if you do recall, like, when the Predator came out, like, nobody knew that it was actually, they were going to be hunted by an alien. Everybody walked into this movie thinking it would be, like, similar to Commando. Yeah. And then at the end, it's like, oh, hey, this is actually slightly different. And that's what I miss in trailers back in the day. They don't reveal much. They just you ex you're expected to go into this blind. And I mean, like think about it this way: like they do, they seldom use the word teaser anymore. Yeah. Like you know, like nowadays is basically they show you the best bits of the movies because that's what probably is the only reason for you to go and watch it. 
Yeah, the mystery and allure of films. No more because of clickbait and SEO and thumbnails and stuff. Yeah, but then so again, sad. like then you get a tra- you get a trailer, like the Venom trailer, and like you still don't want to see it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> this doesn't look interesting at all. <laughs> yeah, but okay. But anyway, yeah, the magic of Predator. I mean, like what you did you like about the first Predator movie, especially? I guess it's basically the camaraderie between Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger before you know Carl Weathers bites it, and how everyone is just basically just running away in the jungle. I mean, they had the, your first action scene in the village, getting mm. that girl. I mean, you had girl. to establish like the competency of these guys, you know. Yeah, you got to show them how badass they are before they start cowering in fear at exactly. the Invisible Hunter. Like, what is what what is it that could make these guys so incapable, right? Yeah, I mean, like I like that. I mean, I, I totally uh, appreciated the script uh, written by the the Thomas brothers, Jim and James, right? Jim but, and James, yeah. Yeah, but I think what I really love is the fact that this was directed by a first-class action director in John McTiernan. Yes. Who yes. will later do Die Hard. <laughs> if you think yeah, about the it, Apex, he did, the Apex, he did so. Predator and Die Hard back-to-back. So it's like all the acclaim for this gentleman, sir. Like, And the thing is, right, he, he kind of fell off the map, right? I think he retired from directing or... But at the same time, he was at that time, he did a complete different spin on the 80s films that you see, the action genre films. Exactly, like yeah. He spun Predators, it on his head. that one spin, and then Die Hard was the everyman spin, you know? Yeah, and also, I mean, what I really appreciate about the first Predator is the, the fact that it knew how to use suspense, it knew how to use music, like, it was crafted. It didn't feel like watching like a Chuck Norris or like a an, like a, another Schwarzenegger movie. Like you watch something like Commando and you just realize how silly it is. Uh, you mean the, especially the last scene where he's got those two guns shooting everyone is just coming into range at him. No, especially okay, that fine. scene where he drops uh, Luther from the Warriors and he says like, "I thought you killed me last." <laughs> I lied. <It's> like, <laughs> okay, I, I enjoyed that. Oh, like totally when he when he that. kills his like when he kills the bad guy, which is basically the guy from Mad Max, and he's yes. like, "Why didn't you let off some steam?" <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Let off some steam, Bennett. Bennett, you know. Oh, you're getting old, John. Oh, okay, right, okay. He did drop some really corny one-liners. Like there's one where he like basically throws a machete through a guy, it sticks into a wall, and like stick around. You know? <laughs> it was so fun. I mean, yeah, I get it. And and I think that's the, the genius of the first Predator movie. Like, it sets up the first the first half of the movie. It's just set up to be like, yep, it's a dumb like. It's just like Commando. It's like one-liners and uh, like these guys blowing stuff up. And it's just bullets everywhere and like, yay, this is like, you know, every other action movie. And then it turns into a horror slasher movie. Yeah, a horror film in broad, I mean, uh, in sort of like jungle daylight, nighttime. Exactly, you know, and the thing is, right, all of a sudden you have this like, and and the thing is, right, the first uh, section of Predator wasn't shot by John McTiernan. I think it was shot by the Nady. Like it was basically shot to spec. It was basically shot to look and feel like a typical action movie. And it's basically just like Psycho, like, oh, you think this movie is going one direction and all of a sudden it just, nope, now, now it's about something else. Yeah. And it's like, then when John McTiernan actually takes over and you just see how the jungle becomes so claustrophobic. And then With like, all the different shots and the shaky cam, uh, not shaky cam. No like shaky a, cam at yeah, all, sir. Yeah. It's just amazing just landscapes. The camera, yeah. yeah, you know, and like... The panning the, and everything. It's like, yeah, this is, I mean, obviously we know the jungle is pretty bad at nighttime. It's like, just imagine if these guys who were trained really well just getting lost and panicky because of the instinct. I mean, not only that, one. because like just like those nice establishing shots of the of the trees and the canopies and everything. I mean, like John McTiernan actually had his crew cut like branches and leaves, I, not whole trees, uh, but stuff out of the way because the jungle was so dense. Is that just to get a nice shot of scenery required yeah, you to actually yeah. sculpt the environment? But I would say yeah, it's like prop, props to the man. Props to the man for this. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing: like when you watch Predator, is like the first half of the movie. I mean, okay, not the first, like the first act. 
really feels disjointed from the second and the third act. Yeah. But the thing is, it doesn't feel disjointed the, to the point where you think like it, it, this is, it doesn't feel like it's uh how you say imbalance or it it, it kind of like. It actually just goes in like in a nice narrative structure. Yeah. Okay, yeah, this, we're rescuing this lady from the village, and then oh, we're gonna get out. Oh, we're gonna have trouble getting out, and it turns out this bad MF is actually gonna just kill all the special forces guys. I mean, and like, only yeah, one remain. Yeah. It's it's basically like it turns into a survival horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good melding of genres, like. Yep. And like you know, the per- the first Predator movie definitely a, a science fiction action classic that you know I mean. It's, well, uh, what do you think of the second one, the one with first? Uh, I didn't Danny mind Gover. it at all. You know what? I saw this in the cinema when I was much younger, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I also like the fact that you know they took it to an urban setting, which was interesting, and it was set in the far future of 1997. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this was filmed in 92, right? It 93? came out 91 or 90. Yeah, and it's like, I just remember it like ooh, seven years from now. Uh, who would have thought? Oh, like the predator re- re- returns to Earth the same year the PlayStation drops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Final Fantasy comes out the same year as when the predator comes back to Earth. Yeah. And you know what? As much directed as directed by Stephen Hopkins, uh, might be a familiar name around the nineties, right? He was a. Uh, I think he worked in advertising or music videos. I can't remember, but he's not American. He's English. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he did an amazing job. I mean, okay. The, the complaint a lot of people had about Predator 2 was basically it's, it's similar to like a reskin of Predator 1 it's just a different setting you know like Im- imagine like okay now we, we did the jungle level now this is the city level <laughs> yeah and like you know it's, what it's sort of similar but not quite I don't know I, I guess because of uh, again the first film was still about those special force guys and then this one's like half on the urban warfare thing going on half on uh Basically, the cops trying to do their job in this LA city heat and the chaos that surrounds it. I mean, not exactly. I mean, it did establish that. Uh, I mean, later Gary Busey's character, whose son would the, later, the FBI comes in halfway through. Yeah, right? he did establish the fact that whenever there is heat and conflict, he will arrive. You know, so it's like it doesn't mean that it comes all the time, but like when there's a certain situation, and then it goes like buck wild and enjoys the hunt. Yeah. Because like is as I don't know because they don't establish why it does it, but it does establish like the the criteria for it to arrive. Yeah, yeah, the thrill of the hunt and uh, mm. like you said, like the heat and everything. And like I do like the the motif it has with like the Colombian and the Jamaican Jamaicans, uh, gangs, yeah. right? Because it's like visually like those two gangs look very very nice, and also at the same time I also like the fact that um it does add to the predator mythology because what it does essentially is like I mean okay spoilers but in the end you you notice it's just not it's not one creature it's a whole gang of creatures who come yeah. to earth like the, the xenomorph skull the t-rex skull and a bunch of other things yeah. oh okay. the you're skipping side. ahead you're talking about the, the alien spaceship right no I'm oh, talking about that final from? scene where you see seven of them arrive like oh, show right. up the predators and then it's like yeah. you realise like oh it's not, it's not just like one lone bounty hunter slash like alien hunter that comes to earth is like no there's a whole gang of them yeah, so these those the guys time. or maybe they were hunting elsewhere yeah perhaps you know I mean? too, yeah yeah and i mean okay that's cool so like it's like it does enough to set up a universe it does enough to set up other things and like you know yeah it's you actually did... the first time we saw the ship the ship the interior of the ship too come yeah. to think of it yeah i mean 
and we also have to acknowledge the fact like okay, as you said before that they did show the alien skull in the trophy room mm-hmm. which is an homage to the comic book Alien vs Predator which yep. was out at the time so it's like I like the fact that there is you know okay that's how you do fan service properly you don't linger on it you just kind of like throw it in the background just a quick one yeah the fans will find it you know you don't have to make it such a big deal which is why okay if you understand I mean if you've heard the podcast you 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 hear me constantly like you know berate like all these unnecessary references like yes we're fans we, we're, we're smart enough to see it by ourselves yeah. okay don't point it out to us that doesn't make it fun okay so the first two movies I would say okay one's definitely an action masterpiece the second one is uh, not it's a it's a decent follow up it's a decent follow up decent follow up okay might not hold up as well as the first one but it does expand upon the mythology of the character yeah and if you want terrible retreads, I mean, Ghostbusters 2 is probably the worst kind. It's just the same plot. At least this one, you're still, you're still getting hunted, but at least the police and everyone, the law enforcement, are sort of involved in that concrete jungle. So mm, yeah. A different dynamic. A different dynamic. I mean, like, it does present, like, you know, very... Uh, I mean, the character's interesting. Like, Bill Paxton as the Lone Ranger, uh, Ruben Blades as... Uh, uh, Danny Glover's character what? Uh, Harrigan right That's his, yeah Harrigan like, Harrigan yeah like you know like how his death triggers like uh, like Danny Glover's character to go like you to know, go like 90s cop all over the predator to basically be the lethal weapon cop <laughs> yes <laughs> okay to basically be Murtaugh again and with like 120% more sweat cause of, just to emphasize how hot LA is at the time it probably was but okay so first two predator movies you know they should be definitely put on a pedestal Okay, the first one especially. The, the second one is a, is a nice companion piece. So then there was a bit of a break. And then we had the Aliens movies and then we had the AVP movies. Yeah. And I did not mind the first AVP film. I liked it. I, you know, I liked it as an off-brand spin-off thing. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I don't consider it a Predator sequel. But it's like, it's just basically amongst the hype of Freddy vs. Jason and stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. A, there a was nice a m- team-up film. Yeah. Like, there was a moment where there were these things called crossover movies where one franchise would face off another franchise. I mean, I can't think of any else right now, but... Yeah. I think those, those two were pretty much the prominent ones that we know. What was the first, like, crossover franchise movie? Was it X and Sever <laughs> versus Sever Ballistic? No. <laughs> I don't know what the, I, I, I just heard the title I just immediately forget about it <laughs> It's basically Lucy Liu versus uh, like uh, Antonio, Antonio Banderas, Banderas. <laughs> Sure Hey but that was The Wachowskis first film okay, I thought it was Bound Bound was the first film Was Bound by The Wachowskis? I don't I think so I recall yeah It was the one Yeah I think so it was mm-hmm. Okay uh, I, All I remember is that Like X versus Ever Subtitle Ballistic <laughs> Or something okay, That was basically what Greenlit the Matrix So yeah no, But okay so, um, yeah, then AVP 2 Requiem came out, which was... Not quite good. It, it didn't... It did not it had blood. Sp- it had blood, which was fine, but that's it probably was, the only really Yeah, feature. it was a little bit more over the top. It did not instill any confidence in me for any future good Predator movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's fast forward a little bit more. And then we had Predators, which was uh, Robert Rodriguez, his attempt at the franchise, yeah. which was fine you know and I, I, I appreciate it for what it is yeah. what I appreciate is that they had the original Predator design in one of the Predators mm-hmm. the scene of the, the Predator that was tied to the, the tree stump or something yes 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 yeah, that's yeah, yeah. actually the exact same design as the Predator from the first Predator movie so like okay that's what I like that's what I mean that's, that's some fan service right there 
didn't really appreciate uh, most of the story. I mean, it was fine, you know. It, yeah, was, it was at least it was easy to follow, unlike the other film which we're gonna talk about later. Anyway, I mean, it felt like uh, like when you watch when you read like a comic book spin off of a of a certain series, it's like oh, uh, like you know, this is something that's happening right now. And for what it wants to do, it's fine. Uh, it did introduce us to the pair of the dogs first, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which play a part in... Okay, let's go straight into it. So the Predator came out quite recently. Yeah. <laughs> and I... Dreading this moment. <laughs> you know, the thing is, right? Even, even bad movies can be enjoyable, but I didn't find this movie enjoyable at all. I mean, I sat through it thinking to myself, is like, what is the point of this movie? And if anything, like this is a Sony release, right? Oh, it's Fox. Uh, my bad. Fox. This is under the Fox banner, twentieth century. So like, this is definitely one of those franchises that's soon gonna be moved over to Disney. <laughs> I can't wait to see what Disney does with the Predator. Yeah, but uh, we'll focus on the film right now. It's for start. I mean, the the whole plot synopsis basically is yeah, like you mentioned, Predator comes out of a package for humanity. Get hunted, gets hunted, hunted down by other by a bigger predator, and the humans predator. get caught up in the mess. Yeah. Okay, and that's the basically that's the moment I felt like, oh my god, they're doing AVP again. <laughs> yeah, except without no aliens, and yeah, where to begin? I mean, the, the the main character. Let's start with Quinn. I mean, that's probably the only thing I remember about the guy. He feels pretty stock as a main character, like exactly going through the motions, getting the package. Um, Trying to act all redneck, he has a broken home. So I mean, he broke off with his wife and all that stuff going on. I mean, they established Try- that he had PTSD, but he was like a super soldier. Like even the wife had an entire monologue where it's like saying, like he's a terrible husband and a father, but, but he's, he's, a, he's a darn good soldier. He's a darn good soldier. Is like really you had to expedi- expo- explain exposition, this guy instead of like. And then you see the genius of the first movie is like, no, we don't explain, we don't tell you that he's a good soldier. We show, show Arnie. Show, yes. We show Arnie. And his team move tactically and efficiently and take out that like that base. It's like, oh, okay. So, okay, that's really one problem. And okay, another problem is the supporting characters. Olivia Munn, for one. I mean, she's a great... I actually did like her in the newsroom. Best character in that show, mm. by far. But in this one, she you felt... know, she's there because of the geek cred and all that. Lah. So, you know, Predator film starring in that yeah. and just going through the I mean, motions. Also, at the same time, to me, it felt like progressive casting. It's like we needed like a female... Like a strong female ca- character, she like she felt very shoehorned in. Yeah, yeah. It's like one moment she's doing a science stuff, the biology stuff, and yeah. all that. And next woman, again, like we said before, she's jumping off from a roof, chasing a predator with a tranquilizer gun. Because in because Jake Busey asked her to. <laughs> like <Yes>. okay, <laughs> and okay. Then we have uh, not the Academy Award winning Keegan Peel. <laughs> <laughs> Jake Busey, we're going for that. All right. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, he's Peel, right? He's what's his full name? Oh, uh, Keegan Michael Peel. Keegan Michael Peel. He's Keegan Michael Peel. Oh, Keegan Michael Keegan Michael Michael Key Key. Sorry. Okay. Like, he, he's, he, up. Peel is the one who won the the Oscar. Yeah. Jordan Peel is the one who did get out. Not not this guy. Like not this guy. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine him sitting in the trailer every day. Like, damn, my friend won an Oscar and I'm doing this, <laughs> yeah. and I need to play crazy. Like. Sure, and you know here's the thing. I, he's just I, basically playing a character from one of his skits. Exactly, <laughs> that's what it felt like. It felt like you know, like you know, when you would watch a movie and then they would just intersect him. He he felt like some weird kind of like when you watch a Vine video where you watch a scene from a movie and then they add some comedy. Yes, yes, like, yeah. He felt, he felt, it felt s- like that. Yeah, he felt <laughs> extremely out of place, especially with how like he's supposed to be the funny one and his jokes never hit. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. had. 
Thomas Jane. Poor Thomas Jane. Probably one of the better Punishers. Not the best yes. one, but one of the better ones. Okay. One of those good uh, action very, drama characters. He's yeah. a very good actor. In fact, I'm a huge fan of his work in... Uh, was it called The Fog or was it The Mist? The Mist, The Mist. The yes. Mist. The Mist that, a, that good a horror very remake. underrated yeah. movie. And like, okay, so he's playing the guy with the Tourette Syndrome because everybody needs a nervous tick. I think they're going, going, going for this whole... Uh, Again, they're going for the whole plot arc where basically anyone with a disorder, disability, might be the one to actually combat the predator or some some narrative like that. Especially when it involves the kid, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, yeah. and then we have Theon Greyjoy, <laughs> yeah. who just basically is there. Uh, we have the very, uh, what do you, you call it? The very religious other guy. Uh, Nettle, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have uh, basically the Carl Weathers of the the film. The guy, the man who admits to shooting the seal. Oh yeah, yeah, the smoking guy. Yeah, yeah the guy. The, let's let's call him the, the yeah, smoking he, guy. Yeah, you. That's how bad it is. I mean, you remember uh, Dylan, you remember um, uh, uh, Dutch and all that. But you, you remember know? Blaine. You remember, yeah. you know, like you remember these. And guys. the Vietnamese little girl who ran away. You know, but you don't remember most of these characters except for the actors and everything. What Vietnamese little girl? Oh wait, Vietnamese girl or Brazilian girl? Uh, the one, the first predator. Sorry, I think it's in Colombia or something. Colombia, sorry. She's the South Colombian American. Girl. Did you just call her Vietnamese? I don't know why. <laughs> sorry. And, no, but, but yeah, at least like the first movie and the second movie had these very memorable characters. Yeah. Everybody in this movie felt very stereotypical, very tropey, very cliche. And okay, I mean, I did just admit in that Tomb Raider review, like something should be cliche, something should be familiar, but this felt so much like. Okay. They relish in the cliches, I like, guess. Like, we've run out of other cliches, so we're left with these guys. Like, okay, cool. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy the good old ragtag bunch of soldiers facing off against uh, insurmountable odds every once in a while. Yeah. But, like, okay, if these guys beat the Predator, then, like, no, this... The, like, you, you totally... You're, you're basically doing what, like, the prequels did to Star Wars. You're kind of, like, kneecapping like how cool that character is supposed to be because you really need to pit the predator up against a, a worthy opponent all the time yeah. you know what i mean and like okay uh, the alien creatures were kind of worthy opponents you know the yeah, xenomorphs yeah. were and i would admit they were worthy opponents and there was internal bickering when we come if we're talking about predators you know big predator mm. against small predator yeah this one they're rehashing that same internal problem while yeah. also combining previous plot points from other Predator films. I mean, like, okay, let's just really streamline this review. Like, what's the one thing that you felt was the detriment to this entire thing? Uh, apart from the Olivia Munn chasing the Predator scene, I guess when, when they actually went back to the forest where, oh, we gotta do this standoff with the bigger Predator because they kidnapped this, uh, this, this Quinn's kid. You know, yeah. They're, so they're who re- we found out that uh, because of his Asperger's, he actually can man- manipulate technology and it turns out that you know, it's actually the next evolution in humanity or I think, yeah, species. Like, I or mean, whatever. like we'll men- we'll mention that later in the plot points. You know, I mean, like uh, the plot was terrible. I mean, yeah, none of it felt like there was anything at stake. None of it felt like this was anything interesting worth watching. Yeah, like, it just felt like a like it's just going through these cool ideas without any payoff, without any pathos or not any like dread or whatnot. I mean, like okay, like if you were to ask me, the biggest detriment to this movie is the fact that it was nothing but okay i mean fox is definitely undergoing certain uh issues with the, the whole disney buyout right 
and they're losing their franchises and it felt to me like they needed to rush this out before they lost the license forever or something yeah. if I recall how many reshoots were there for this particular film several and I'm not even going to consider the reshoots because I mean I mean, it's a little bit unfair but also at the same time it's you know let's rate the product not the, what the product could have been yeah the final product you know I mean, whatever potential is supposed to have like I don't even see it here because I mean like you can talk about all the production styles and all that like I mean I remember there was like uh, behind the scenes photos where you see Predators riding tanks and stuff so there's probably some weird scene that was supposed to be Predators and humans working together to fight the bigger Predator or whatever yeah but what, but, what like, we got was uh, yeah. know, quite a, well, a flawed mess I mean like especially when you mentioned the final act where like they did a hunt scene because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's a Predator movie. We need to check that off the list where there's a huge hunt where like people are getting picked off one by one because we don't see enough of that. In yeah. fact, we don't see only, any of and that. And the only different thing they do is like, oh, we're going to add in a kidnap victim, you know, and a little kid. Yeah, I mean, like, so, okay, the, the biggest contrivance of this movie is definitely that whole plot point revolving around the kid. Yes. Now, the kid even has his own establishment. I mean, he has his own moments where we see that. So the kid is the son of our so-called hero, Quinn's hero. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, socially awkward to say, all right. Okay, he suffers from a certain uh, he's certain Asperger's, right? Yeah, yeah, Asperger's. But there's right. also a little bit of autism because they did show the scene where he was able to replace all the chess pieces on the tables, like with I mean maybe to establish that he's got like you know a higher thinking capacity or photographic memory. Mm-hmm. And then this is basically the Chekhov's gun to, that comes into play when it's it is shown that he's the one who deciphers the predator language. And starts operating the gauntlet that the father finds in his first mission. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then it's like, okay, where is this going? And but but because of him, it triggers like a signal or something, which causes like the f- the the first predator who's here to help us, but also at the same time murders a lab full of scientists through a series of misunderstandings. I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's not really established, but that's what we're assuming. So right he's here. here to help us, but before he helps us, he's gonna kill a room full of uh, like helpless scientists and a couple of very underpaid security guards, and possibly Olivia Munn. <laughs> okay. And all right. So already, like, I mean, you know, I'm going with this, right? It's like, okay, this feels like. They had one idea and then somebody threw another idea at it and then they just couldn't bring it all together. And this movie was written by the director himself, Shane Black, and his friend Frank Decker. Mm-hmm. And Frank Decker, uh, I'm not even going to say anything, just look at his IMDB. He, he does not instill any confidence. <laughs> okay. Based on his previous work, like, this is the guy you want to do to write a Predator movie? Okay. Uh, but I, I do feel that at least with the kid arc plotline, I mean, there, I kind of want to see where it was going, and then after it was resolved, I felt that there were some things they could that were kind of wasted. I mean, in the hands of a better director and writer, mm-hmm. that could have gone somewhere a bit more tangible, like maybe he can operate the machine or something, or maybe it goes on further than that. But I felt that it was kind of wasted, especially like remember that kid when he was closing his ears, and then because yeah. of the, the the school bell, the fire like alarm, that, right? The fire alarm. They could have actually made some sort of payoff, you know, like the predators actually hunting, and then the sound, the the I don't know something involving sound that can actually be a really good climax fighting against the predator and whatnot. But nothing sort of came up there, you know, like it was just there just to establish his, you know, uh, detriment. Yeah, you know? The, the entire moment where they had to show off that he was socially awkward felt like okay, what is this doing in a predator movie? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You gotta have a payoff for that, and that was really was, wasn't really much. It was just say for calling predator, you know. 
I mean like Okay but Also at the same time Like even Those scenes where we see Like uh, Quinn Like you know Face off against his wife Yeah And it's like Oh what are you doing back home Like oh I, I left a package here Oh our son's in danger I'm coming with you Nah you stay here And then we don't see her again Yeah And it's like Okay what's the point of this Why Why did we have to add a wife Why not make you know Like because We, we need to establish the wife Because somebody has to take care of the kid So this is what I'm talking about Is like They had this idea So they planted it And then they needed to write around it Which created all these extra characters and scenes which just bogged down what could have possibly been like a very simple straightforward Predator movie yeah yeah and that's what we really want is like okay where it's like we don't need all of this it's like the problem I have with Transformers movies is like why do we care about these humans this movie is called Transformers let's see these Transformers and then yeah, you have to among, wait like, among other film among other problems the films have among other anyway. problems the film has so it's like I'm watching a Predator movie and like you know f- 30 minutes into it, it's like, okay, we finally see some action. And it's just basically yeah. him, like, smashing up a lab. And, like, okay, then he runs away. And then there's a kind of a chase scene. And then it's later established that, okay, the Predator is here to help humans, but he's looking for something. And then he confronts Quinn, and Quinn show him, like, a piece of his gauntlet. And then, so the Predator is here to get his gauntlet back, but also help humanity by giving us the thing in the yeah, box. Yeah, that thing in the box, yes. So it's like, What? You know what I mean? So it's like this character, like like the this. So then, okay, it's revealed later that okay, this is not the predator of the movie. The predator is the up the the upgrade predator, the predator predator, the bigger predator, the the the, large, the, the, C, the, the CGI predator, the, the CGI eleven foot predator, which is yeah. like you know bigger, blacker, and more whatever. And it it okay so. It comes to Earth. Okay, so you did mention that uh, this movie suffers from having ideas and not doing anything properly with them. Or even anything remotely good, you know, with it. Like, no yeah. payoff, no nothing, yeah. And, like, here's one thing that I did appreciate with this movie. Like, they did bring up uh, topics of the environment, which was mentioned in Predator 2, where basically it comes to Earth when it gets hot. And then, like, there was this, like, you know, uh, moment between Olivia Munn and uh, who plays the evil scientist again? The evil scientist is a Sterling K. Brown. Ah, Sterling K. Brown. They, that's the name. Okay, and then like they have this conversation where it's like basically like, oh, you know, because of global warming, the Earth is going to be so hot that these guys are. Th- that he hypothesizes that the predator is going to come and inhabit this Earth because that's what's explaining the the, the frequency in their visits. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's an interesting something. They don't do much with it. Apart yeah. From like, oh, here, that's it, and then we're gonna. They have bring the it up, scene, and like then the they throw world. it away. And like, especially that scene where they involving Quinn's kid, and it's like how they say that. Oh, a lot of people consider uh, like you know autism or Asperger's or like you know this as the next step in hu- human evolution, like us thinking differently. And it's like okay, I get where you're coming from, and that's the link to why they collect spines. Mm-hmm. Because they use that as a, a way to upgrade to, themselves. Basically, yeah, right? because like okay, that, that I like that because you know because you have the entire nervous system attached to a spine. Yeah, and like okay, that's interesting. Like so, they they came the like basically what was the word they were using? Huh? They were like gene splicing or hybrid. Uh, High hybrid hybridization. Hybridization, if that's even a word, and it's like basically <laughs> like okay, we're taking the best out of every species in the galaxy, and we're going to create a super version of what we are. You know, like okay, that was an interesting thing that they you know touched on. Is like yeah, too bad it's all talk. And it's like that's about it. And that's the thing. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition, not very much action. And yeah. if anything, what we expect from a Predator movie is some amazing a lot more action, like Elvis would. A lot more action. I mean, like think of the first two Predator movies. Is like you know, despite the flaws of Part Two, it had an amazing set piece with the subway scene. Mm-hmm. Okay, it had a very amazing su- set piece with uh, the Predator versus King Willy. 
Mm-hmm. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like these are very, you know, like a uh, memorable visual and very like effective scenes. Yeah, even that raid the Predator did against the Jamaicans when the Jamaicans hunted down that Colombian guy. Yeah, that that, that yeah. was cool too. You know, like yeah, and the thing yeah. is, like they were showing off his new weapons. Like he had the net, the spear, and like you know, and especially the scene in, in the end in the what in in the store in the ice room. Well, I don't know what you call it. Oh right, right. The, the meat packing fridge. The meat yeah. packing plant where they show off the frisbee of death, which yes. cuts through four cows before it cuts through Gary Busey. Yeah, it's like, God, that, God was bless, cool. God bless that, scene. <laughs> that was cool. That was cool. It's like yeah, you remember that, and then when you watch this Predator, it's like, yeah, that's like oh, well, all, all thing I remember is Kid of Asperger's getting kidnapped and final scene. And then like the big plot twist at the end is like oh it's after McKenna and like McKenna doesn't mean the guy he's talking about the kid so yeah. the and the thing is the Predator has has established that it can pretty much wreck everything that is thrown at him and is having problems catching this kid <laughs> and then like okay another contrivance is like that final scene where it's like okay I want you humans to work together McKenna shall be the captain I'm gonna give you a head start it's like why? <laughs> just get the kid. Oh, just suddenly you just want to hunt again? Uh, All of yeah. a sudden, and yeah, and how does it announce this to the people? Okay, again, ter- terrible writing. It walks into the spaceship and turns on Google Translate, <laughs> and somehow manages to broadcast from within his ship to the the human to like all the other communication devices they have on to site. the com- to the laptop or the the monitor that's attached to the the speakers that's surrounding the, the area. How did he figure that out? I don't know. Space, <laughs> it's like, technolo- space technology is basically how you you know use a, an old school uh, iMac book to hack into the Independence Day spaceship apparently <laughs> yeah. apparently USB is universal <laughs> everybody's got USB okay no. uh, is this a compatible oh it's using Firewire oh, old technology okay but okay I mean I tapped out very early into the film but that moment was when I realized that this is a terrible film like this is when I I, I sat up in my chair and I thought to myself yeah, there's nothing redeeming about this at all because yeah. now it's gonna do like the nonsense, uh, like you know, retread of the first two movies where we had hunt things down one by one, and I didn't even enjoy that because of why how it was premised. <laughs> and like, there's also even one bit where they chickened out the Halloween scene where the kid actually had the helmet, and instead of like maybe going to the obvious um shocking route where the gun from the helmet actually kills the kids, it ends up killing some random guy who just threw a can into the, to uh. What's that to the kids? Oh head. yeah, yeah, I remember that scene. Yeah, yeah that right. was like, yeah, why, why couldn't you just do something I, I, a little different? It'll be about, shocking. Yes, you're talking about the bullies, right? Who were bothering yes, him, yes. and then like that would be a funny if gruesome payoff if the kids died. Yeah, sure. I mean, it would have topped off. That would that not. It wouldn't top. I was I was about to say, would that have topped the the maternity ward scene in a- AVP Requiem? Because yeah, in terms not. of like very bad taste and like okay this is yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> this is going <laughs> pretty, pretty far, but it's like at least you know what visually this is interesting. And I'll at least remember your film, you know, at the very least. And I remember yeah. AVP Requiem for all the wrong yeah. reasons, but you know what? Yes. I mean, it's it's a terrible movie, but okay, again, The Predator. Uh, okay, so everybody's harping on the fact that Shane Black directed this, wrote this, and we have all the Shane Blackisms, which didn't pop up at all. Yep. Didn't really work at all in this film. I mean, and, I mean, do you want to blame the reshoot? Do you want to blame maybe studio interference? I'll blame everyone basically. I yeah. mean, even Shane Black himself because I mean, as good as he does, he did great work for Nice Guys and his other films. But I guess he can't direct an action film that caters to that kind of cadence. I mean, thing. the thing is, yeah. I mean, what I was totally worried about was because it's like when they announced that Shane Black was directing this, everybody got on the hype train because basically he played what Dawkins in the first one. 
Yeah, but he's an actor. He's not he was really an extra. Involved. Yeah, yeah. He, he extra wasn't there for the entire movie. Like, he gets killed off first, gets dragged away. And I, I bet he was sent home after that. I mean, like, yeah, he was there to, to punch up the script. And I would say he was definitely the one who gave Jesse Ventura the best lines. Mm-hmm. Okay, as corny as they were. And then, like, you know, once they, like, got rid of him and it turned into a basically a slasher movie, like, okay, so... Like, the and, best... And, yeah, and if you realize the script in this Predator film, a lot of people dropped the F-bomb quite a bit. Even Sterling K. Brown, like, act, talking like some dude bro within a bunch of scientists and even nah, but still arguing about the Predator 2. Predator 2 still has, like, probably one of Quite the, a lot, yes. Uh, way more F-bombs than this one. Uh, but the thing is, like, in Predator 2, the, the F-bombs were all for emphasis and to just show the frustration of the city during that yeah, heat wave. It, you know, it, was really heat, it was really hot, so it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> but, but then, like, like, this yeah. one felt like more like, you know, especially when they, that, that stupid... A child wrote this, you know? <laughs> yeah, it felt very cringy, it felt very immature, but especially that moment where, like, I think it was in the trailer where basically Olivia Munn tried to correct them, where it's like, technically it's a hunter, Predator is a cooler name, and some dude, like, off-screen goes, F yeah. It's like um, oh yeah yeah after Sterling like, K Brown said that, something that yeah. kind of cemented like this is gonna be a bad movie you know yeah. what I mean like okay the dude bro kind of dialogue on all the characters I mean like okay you know what I would have done what, if, what? if I had the chance like okay I mean the review's over per- the Predator is a terrible movie it's not that enjoyable it's not that great if you're a Predator fan you'll be very disappointed you'll probably hate it even more as a Predator fan if you're honestly. a real Predator fan you'll be like yeah this is definitely not worth my money or my effort you know I mean like what they did with the character the character designs the lore the mythology they just basically you know the last Jedi did they just say like oh all the things you love threw it over the back of their shoulders <laughs> and like okay now I'm gonna do something silly and fun and wacky it's like, yeah. what would your version of this uh, reboot or even sequel be you know what I would have done I would have made it so that Sterling K. Brown was a serious government military guy and it, it had been properly tracking this thing down and that when these guys actually do arrive on earth like they're ready for it mm-hmm. instead of constantly like you know a helicopter of just five guys is like oh okay it, it, there's been a sighting and then they like look around it's like no 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 the government is aware of this people are aware of this you gotta independence day the shit out of this it's like basically Oh, this thing comes to Earth every once in a while. This is a problem. How do we... You have to make it big. Yeah. How do we handle this, prevent as much casualty as possible, and what can we do to stop this, you know? And like then, an XCOM, like an XCOM mission, I guess. <laughs> like an, yeah, maybe like an XCOM mission, but more in the sense of like, uh, basically, you know, get the best of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Because and they it, all cower in fear in the last the last like, act of the film. To me, the logical <laughs> progression for a Predator movie was like in the first movie, it was established that these were special forces guys, but they're not the best of the best of the best. They just were the ones who happened to be there at the time. So imagine a team that was properly assembled to face off against the Predator. Yeah. Like okay, we need to get the guys we can definitely, and it's basically you know do the proper cat and mouse game where. Now the Predator is m- like matched up against people who are ready for him. Yeah, and something like an anti-Predator suit would actually make sense in that particular, you know, because human technology... Nah, man, I, I wasn't a fan of the anti-Predator suit. It felt more like, oh, wow, we need the Iron Man this too. Ugh. Yeah, but that's the sad part. Like, if your end credit... If your near... Your, if your ending actually... Wa- if you're actually more interested to see what happens after the ending rather than the actual film you see, that's a bit of a problem there, you know? Yeah, but that's it. Like you, do, you don't care about the plot. You're just looking at the shiny stuff. And it's like yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm looking yeah. at it and I'm like thinking like, okay, that's gonna sell as a toy, definitely. Yeah. But you know, I I can imagine part of the fans like at the end of it is like, 
Okay, we want to see the cool predator in the predator suit. We don't want to see some dumb human in the predator suit. Yeah. Or at least seeing the humans fight against predators with the humans with some advantage, like a mechanical stuff, like XCOM, XCOM-like, you know, gear. Exactly. I mean, like this. I think that's what would definitely be an interesting movie. Is like, okay, the first two times when it arrived, people weren't ready for him. Yeah. Show us a movie where we're ready for him. It's already been established that we, as like the human race, is aware of the visitors. Yeah, and they probably. I think there could be a. I think there could have been a Dark Horse comic about that. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did they? Could, that, could have been maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, like the thing is, I didn't really follow the comic book series, but mm. I mean, as a film, as something that would make a worthy Predator movie is like, yeah, imagine this. Uh, whatever decides to drop in, you know, America, whatever, or in Japan, or whatever. But it's like, yeah. okay, like okay. This has come to Earth several times over the years. Has it also been established in Predator Two? Over the last few centuries, remember yeah, at the end yeah. he gets that that gun from the old west. He's like, oh, these guys have been coming here for a while. So yeah. it's like, what would happen if humanity was ready? Yeah, would, would we like to see that would film. we stand a chance? <laughs> would, we st- <laughs> would, would would it be? Because the thing is like, at the end of Predator Two, is like they had the FBI guys who were kind of ready, and but the plan was to freeze it. Yes. But they did have the heat blocking suits. But then they didn't realize that the Predator also had other visions. Yeah, like four different visions, as I recall. Or something, yeah. right? Like, and it still managed to see the lights or something. Like, okay, that was cool. It's like, then you establish more mythology. It's like, okay, uh, what would... And then, even better, do what the second movie did. Expand on the technology. Because we already can establish that this thing travels through the galaxy. So its technology is way more advanced than us. It, ha- it has discovered hyperspace travel. And then it was also the second, like okay, they are technology-driven like a uh, warrior race of hunters, because I mean like we are using bows and arrows and shotguns to go and shoot lions in the savanna. They come here with shoulder-mounted laser beam tracking yeah, and missile launchers, and you know, trackers and, it's like, and stuff. Like, okay, so like ten years from then, like what were what are the technological advances that they have? Because at the for this movie they like they showed us what the spear, the the blades on the gauntlet and uh yeah like you know the shoulder mounted cannon like wouldn't they have updated because like between Predator two and now like we've gone through ten iPhones, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't their technology advance at an even more ridiculous rate? Yeah, yeah, you probably I mean? like uh, heat-seeking spears or remote-controlled spears. Or, or something, you know. That, that's what I want to see because it's like okay, they're tribalistic. Uh, you know, like race of aliens, but they are also super scientists. Yeah. Somehow, so like, what would be the evolution of their technology? Yeah. And that would be the thing. Is like, you know, when the predator does come here, is like humans are ready, but we were ready for the last one that came ten years ago. Yeah. We're not ready for the more advanced one that is hitting this way, and yeah. he's and all hell breaks loose in yeah, probably you know, the second half of the film. And then like you basically get a good bunch of action actors, and you know, like yep. That's what I want to see. I mean, yeah. Hollywood, if you're paying attention to the last game podcast, and I know you are. Oh, no, no, <laughs> Disney. Disney should pay attention since they Disney? have the rights. Oh, man. Uh, With all Disney, that Disney money, don't forget. I mean, Disney, if they get the right person to spearhead the brand, the brand of the branch of the brand, I don't know how to explain it. But, but like, you know, they got Kevin Feige to do Marvel. Yeah. But they got Kathleen Kennedy to do Star Wars. So it's like, okay, the person in charge of the franchise needs to be the best person for the job. So who would be the best person for the job to spearhead like you know the, the rest of the president franchise? Uh, I can't think of any at this exactly. Point. I can't think of any at this point. I mean, like yeah. you, I would say somebody like. I mean, I can speculate. I would say like you know maybe a Gareth Evans would be interesting. 
or a Gareth Edwards. Either a Gareth Edwards, the Godzilla guy, the Godzilla guy. Yeah. And then like maybe you know somebody who pays attention to like you know maybe we need to get a friend of the franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be amazing though. Like I would like to see James Cameron's attempt at the Predator. Hmm. Like, right. The thing right. is, that like he's work. not he's not past his prime, and he's it's not over him to take an established franchise and make it into something else. Yeah, he did a really good job with Aliens. He did a really good else. job. Yes. A very yeah. commendable job with Aliens. You know, he took it from a like a cerebral horror psychological like uh, space alien movie and turned it into one of the best action movies of all time. Yeah. Sci-fi action films, really good stuff. And yeah, he is a you know a tenured and very. You know, noteworthy action director because so, let's bring up Terminator 2 while we're at it. You know. Yeah. So let's hope he can hurry up and finish up the Avatar films. So he oh god, he's gonna take things. his time because he doesn't care. Okay, he's he's <laughs> yeah. he has enough Titanic money to keep him like you know bored and busy for the rest of his life. You can't fault for his dedication. I mean, he loves his Avatar series. So why you not? think so? I, I think he's in love with the technology. He's not so much in love with the movie franchise. He's just doing it because you know, like, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the studios are just giving him money as long as they promise that he'll make one by some release date. Uh, okay, but that's enough about that. So, the Predator. Yeah. Uh, your final thoughts? Yeah, final rating. It's not good. It's. I mean, I don't hate it as much as you do, but it is a very, very flawed film. Mm. Like, I don't think I can recommend this to anybody or I, anyone. I mean, if anything, this is like. A, don't don't. I mean, if you if you're a fan of the Predator series. Don't watch it. I mean, if you want a good time, like uh, like a silly action movie, go ahead. There are better offerings. I mean, The Meg was a really good brainless <laughs> film. All right, no, That's or even Mal Twenty yeah. Two was a really dumb action movie. If you want, you're looking for that, you know, yeah. you're desperate for that. But you know, as an entry into the Predator franchise, or as a worthy reboot slash successor, nah, totally uh. misstepped. And uh, yeah, just go know, to your streaming channel or your Netflix and find for Predator yeah, One and Two. Go to Netflix and just watch Predator One and just see what an, what how, why this is still like you know I mean it's part of the pop culture landscape and why yeah. because of that first movie alone. Yeah. So and yeah. with that, I think we can sign off, right? Yeah, it's been a while since we did a podcast. It's nice to be back. Yes, so. awesome. We <laughs> can do more of these in like maybe in a bi-weekly or a bi-monthly sort of method. Yeah, we'll see how you know. Hopefully, uh, you know, enough things occur along the horizon for us to review, talk about, and discuss. And yeah, you know, Eccentric Tom will be back, and uh, can't wait to see him back in the <laughs> back in the fray. So uh, you know what? This has been a uh, co-host, uh, Doctor Chaffik. And this has been your other co-host, Mr. Taufi, and we're signing out. Mm-hmm.